Hello, I'm Rebecca, the founder of Trio, and welcome to Pep Talks with Trio. Trio is the leading solution for workplaces to support their people during every life transition, from starting a family to retiring, and every life event in between. On Pep Talks with Trio, we chat to our expert partners for advice on how to best navigate these common, complex, and often messy life stages that happen during our working career. Keep listening as we connect the dots between life and work with the simple aim of education and empowerment. After all, life happens at work. Today on Pep Talks with Trio, we're speaking with Grace Malloy. Grace is the CEO of Menopause Friendly Australia, whose mission it is to improve the way people experience menopause in the workplace. We're discussing what being menopause friendly means, statistics, what leading organisations are doing and why this is important. Grace, welcome. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hi, Rebecca. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm really excited that uh, you're taking the opportunity to talk about menopause. Uh, it's a new topic for many organisations. So thank you for the opportunity to uh, to join you today. Uh, so essentially, menopause is uh, a workplace issue that we really haven't explored yet. And so myself and Deborah Garlick, my fellow director, have uh, taken an issue with this and uh, really created an opportunity for a circuit breaker for companies. Many are experiencing a loss of productivity, gender diversity issues, psychosocial safety issues. And so we're creating a platform for people to make it easy for them to address these issues and to make uh, menopause a topic of conversation at work and for environments to become menopause friendly. Well, it is um, an unusual topic in Australia, isn't it? It's far more common uh, in terms of the workplaces in the UK. Um, What what does it mean to be menopause friendly and what are you seeing in other countries that are, how's that, how's this, how's that impacting organisations? Yeah, so what we see is that uh, 100 years ago, uh, menopause was actually on average around 57 years old for women and we actually had a life expectancy of 59. So we were only really living for two years post-menopause um, and so living without our hormones wasn't a big problem. Uh, But today, you know, we see that actually we are on average going through menopause at the age of 51 and most people are actually at work during this time and our life expectancy is now 86 as women in Australia. So menopause is coming at a time of life where we are at work and so therefore it's becoming more of an issue for women in how to manage their symptoms while they're going through menopause at work and for workplaces to understand how they can support people through this transition so that women can continue to thrive at work. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's um, it's something that we haven't um, really addressed yet in Australia. And so that's why we've formed Menopause Friendly Australia uh, to help companies navigate um, what they need to do to become menopause friendly. And in looking around the globe, as you said, the UK, in fact, they've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, so rather than reinventing the wheel, what we've done is looked at what's worked in the UK uh, and we're taking that now to Australian workplaces to enable them to, uh, I guess, shortcut uh, some of those learnings uh, from what the UK have found has been really effective, uh, but also obviously adapting that for the Australian landscape and what employers here are really concerned about and wanting to achieve. So that's sort of where we're, where we're, we're at at the moment. And does that also include the perimenopause phase? Because is it true that perimenopause can start as early as 38? 
Yeah, so just some interesting facts. It's, it's you know, from my perspective, I had no idea around when perimenopause would start for me. Uh, so I had my own personal experience of trying to find out what was going on when I was experiencing some changes in how I was feeling and quite severe changes, things like uh, heart palpitations, which was one of the things that I went through. Um, so we're really starting to understand how perimenopause impacts us and many people don't really know what those signs and symptoms are so on average people go through menopause at the age of 51 and what we say perimenopause is is the five to seven years leading up until that time when hormones are starting to change really fluctuate giving us some of those symptoms and then at 51 on average we will have our last menstrual cycle and 12 months from our last menstrual cycle is officially the one day in our lives when we say we are in menopause. And then after that time, we're in post-menopause. At that point, do you open up the champagne? Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people have some really terrible menstrual cycles, endometriosis, you know, a lot lot of heavy bleeding and pain associated with that. So for some people, it can actually be quite a liberating thing to go through menopause to say goodbye to that period of their life, not have to be so concerned with um, going through that every month. And then, you know, they see it as a really positive opportunity to move forward without a lot of those signs and symptoms. But we do know that unfortunately as we do see decline in estrogen um, that actually has some longer term health impacts that we really need to be aware of as well so things like osteoporosis cardiovascular disease links to dementia uh, there's some really key things that we as women need to understand that will become more of an issue as we move into that postmenopausal stage um, in living without our hormones for longer that's significant isn't it some of those symptoms and some women seem to breeze through menopause and then others have a really horrific time Mm. of it and is there is there any reason for that is then or is it just luck of the draw so research is emerging around what might trigger symptoms Uh, but what we do know is that for one in four women they will sail through menopause and they won't really feel some of any of those symptoms Unfortunately for them, they'll still see those longer-term health risks increase. So it's still important that they understand what the changes mean for them. But for three in four women, they will experience symptoms that can be troublesome. And for one in four, it can be a really severe and serious health issue for them. So some of the common symptoms that we hear from women that cause them the most problems are what we call vasomotor symptoms. And those are things like hot flushes, night sweats, the temperature changes that we hear, probably the most stereotypical things that most people would understand about menopause, the the hot flushes and needing a fan and, and, you know, needing to change what we're wearing. But there's some other symptoms that uh, really do cause some problems for people at work and sleeplessness is one of them. Obviously, you know, if you're up with night sweats and, and feeling hot, that does disrupt your sleep. But, you know, generally our sleep patterns can be really disrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can experience headaches as well, which is something that many don't really actually realise could be a hormonal um, change that's causing headaches. Uh, we see lots of people with musculoskeletal pain. 
as well. And those are some of the common physical symptoms that people might experience. But also uh, often something that people don't realise is that our change in hormones can have a really large effect on the way that we're feeling in terms of our mood. We're at a higher risk of depression and anxiety during this time. And sadly, it's actually the time of life for women when they're at most risk of suicide. So it's really important for women to understand that, for workplaces to understand that, and to be able to talk about how people are feeling and give the support that's needed so that we don't have to suffer in, in silence and continue, um, you know, experiencing these psychological symptoms uh, when there is some things that we can do and some help that's available as well. Yeah. It's one of the challenges around having menopause diagnosed because many doctors don't actually understand the symptoms. So when you come with those psychological challenges, it may, you know, it may be menopause, but often it's um, diagnosed as depression. So you're automatically put on antidepressant tablets, whereas that may be a symptom of menopause, but actually there's the menopause is the underlying problem. Absolutely. I mean, I hear that story very regularly. And and let's be, you know, be fair, antidepressants are very effective at treating depression in many people. However, menopause is actually um, can be a cause of the symptoms that people are experiencing. And it's very difficult. I feel very sorry for people going to their GP trying to get an explanation because, first of all, they don't have the understanding or the awareness that what they're experiencing may be hormonal. And the GPs that they're seeing are also not um, very well trained around menopause. And that's something that um, many people in Australia are advocating for more training, more understanding, more tools, more resources for GPs to make sure that when people are presenting with these symptoms um, and menopause might be a cause that it's identified and then these people can get the proper treatment, proper help and support um, Mm. to make sure that the treatment they're receiving is really effective. But first of all, I think the conversation, you know, really needs to be around normalising that this is a normal experience for many people, that it's not something that we need to be ashamed about talking about and there is help available. Yeah, which is really important in the workplace, right? Because I, the numbers that I've been given are anything between 10 and 25% of women will look to leave the workplace because of their symptoms and because it, it's too hard to manage or it's misunderstood within work. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yes, absolutely. So in terms of turnover, we know that one in four women will experience symptoms that are problematic enough that they will be considering leaving. And this research comes from the UK from the Fawcett Report, and 10% of um, people actually do leave because of their symptoms. So it's a huge amount. If you think about these people within your organisation, they're often experienced, well-trained valuable employees that are empathetic they're the ones that put their hand up to do all the extra things around um, the workplace and so losing these really valuable people is such a shame so we really want to raise awareness for this and create an opportunity for workplaces to uh, empower people to have a conversation at work to talk about what they're experiencing to get that help and support and really keep those really valuable people in the workplace. It also has a huge implication for gender pay gaps. And I know many workplaces are looking at how they can reduce potentially a gender pay gap. We know that there's some new transparency coming in next year with um, with GIA and workplaces will um, have their gender pay gap 
published. So one thing that they can do to reduce that is to try and retain these women in the workforce that are leaving that are often in more highly paid roles. So really there's a few different cases of why organisations may want to look at reducing turnover um, and, you know, engaging women in, in this time of life. And there are thankfully some quite simple strategies that they can put in place to do so. Yeah, that's absolutely true, isn't it? Often um, women at this point in life, they are at the top of their career. They're in those senior leadership roles. They're in the leadership pipeline. There's certainly not the, not that, you know, companies want to lose any talent, but particularly in that space when women are, there are often less women from a gender equity perspective or gender balance perspective in, you know, in a workplace, you really don't want to. So if we'd look at the, you know, what are the simple strategies? You've touched on that. What what can organisations start to do? Yeah, so first thing is to um, have a look around your organisation at what you uh, have existing in terms of getting some uh, feedback and some, um, some surveys out to, to workplaces. So if you have a way to do that simply, I would suggest, you know, getting together a group of people to create a survey. We can help with that as well. Ask your people within your workplace what what they're experiencing. Get that conversation going. Create a safe place where people feel that they can provide that. Um, and ask them what would be helpful to them in the workplace because often we think a fan, it's easy to go, right, they're hot, they're sweaty, it's menopause, let's give them a fan. You know, it seems like such an, an easy thing to do. But for many people, that's not the most uh, problematic issue for them in the workplace. There could be other things that are really quite um, not that obvious to you that might um, make it a lot easier for them at work. So things like uniforms and things like that often come up where people feel that they might need extra uniforms or things. So I think the first thing to do is have a get together an employee resource group, if that's something that you do within your organisation, to understand how people are feeling in the workplace currently, what are their levels of knowledge and how can you support them within your existing workplace? Because everyone's unique and every every workplace is unique. Uh, so opening up that conversation um, having an open culture of discussion is really important as well. So making sure that people understand that you take this topic seriously. So we see that in the workplaces where this has really succeeded in the UK, we've had really strong leaders within those, those workplaces. Uh, so getting the CEOs involved, getting the board involved, getting the senior leaders on board with this and understanding that it is a serious issue and communicating that to staff to make sure that they feel really comfortable that this is something that they can talk about about at work because the last thing we want to see is women further stigmatized or um, you know further reduced from promotions and things like that because of this um, this becoming a topic of conversation as well yeah because it is a phase right and I, I guess the more we can normalize the narrative around this phase of life the easier it is for women to discuss it and have those courageous conversations in the workplace and the more that uh, the workplace is educated around menopause, the more male leaders or male colleagues are going to understand the impact of those symptoms to the individuals. So the more empathy and compassion there is. But no doubt I've had a lot of uh, feedback that actually that really helps those men when they go home and have to deal with their partners or sisters or, you know, the people in their family. So there's there's a real genuine benefit of education you know it's increasing the employee value proposition for organizations which in a time where 
we are in a talent short market. Obviously, it's it's brilliant to review that. I mean, certainly it's, uh, you know, with the menopause journey we do, we help managers have those courageous conversations with the individuals. And like you say, it's really important to keep the, you know, the narrative open around and remove the stereotypes and stigma so that, you know, women do still feel included and that they can have these conversations and remain in the workplace. Absolutely. I think you touched on such an important point there. And and often we see that the male allyship within workplaces um, really does come to the forefront here. I think it's from, you know, I sort of look at some of the, the men that I've worked with and I think they're absolutely amazing people. You know, they really want to help. But for them, it might be really scary to start talking about menopause. I mean, for some women, it's really scary to start talking about menopause. And we've got some changes in legislation as well around, you know, respect at work and around um, psychosocial hazards. And so giving managers a framework with which to discuss this, um, giving them some understanding, first of all, about what are the signs and symptoms um, is really key to making sure that they feel supported by the workplace to have a conversation that's genuinely helpful to the people that they're trying to support. And we do see actually that many of the men within our workplaces go home and they have conversations with their wives and they spread that message as well. And they actually say, I know more about my wife than menopause now having uh, been to one of your sessions. Um, so again, there's there's many different sort of facets to why it's important for managers to talk about menopause at work, um, but also creating that really safe environment, um, providing that training and guidance so that they feel comfortable having a conversation and giving them the tools and resources to make sure that they can um, operate within a framework within the organisation that's really set. So that comes into, again, something we haven't really discussed, which is the policies and the guidance and the writing down of what helps available. So for managers, I think that's really key so that they have something that they can refer to. Yeah. An organisation to have um, a policy or a guidance. Some, some organisations prefer to put a guidance in place rather than a policy, and that's totally fine. We don't mind as long as it's written down somewhere that people can go and really just refer to a document that says this is the help that's available within our organisation and this is what we're going to do to support you. Um, so, again, when we're looking at education, I think coming alongside that's really important that there is that um, that guidance document for those people. Um, it does, it's not just a document that gets ticked off the list and put in a drawer, but it's something that people understand how to use and then it's practical and genuinely helpful for those people in having those conversations at work. Yeah. We always talk about, um, you know, organisations doing their part with putting policies in place, which is amazing. You know, we do need to start there. But actually, if the effect, it you know, of the employee is still negative, um, then the policy is redundant. You know, it really takes action and culture change to embed that policy in the behaviours um, and the culture within the organisation. Otherwise, it's just a piece of paper. Absolutely. And that's why with our uh, with what we do with organisations, we don't actually provide you with a templated menopause policy. And we do that intentionally because every workplace is unique and different. And we want to make sure that when that guidance or document or policy document is written for an organisation, that they've taken into account all of those unique differences and what's needed. So we prefer to provide workshops, support and guidance for organisations on how to create a policy 
We provide lots of examples and, you know, we're really fortunate that many of the workplaces that we work with are happy to provide those freely. So we have a bank of policies that people can look at when they're developing their own policy. But I think, again, it's really important that it's a meaningful document, that it's a live document that people use and it's not just a tick box exercise. Yes, we have a menopause policy. It's, you know, now put in the drawer with all of our others. Amazing. Now, for those organisations that are looking to make positive change and take action in the space, you've got the menopause friendly accreditation and membership. So can you talk me through a bit about, you know, what is that? What does it mean? How can organisations get involved? Absolutely. So our our menopause friendly accreditation and membership is actually launching on the 1st of August. So it's very, very exciting launching here in Australia. It's been going in the UK for uh, three years. And the menopause friendly membership really is empowering people within those organisations who are creating change and making it easy for them to work across the five pillars of or the five standards that we've um, that we've created so that it's easy for them to become a menopause friendly workplace we know that many people in hr or in within organizations either in a voluntary role in a diversity capacity um, are really busy they've got lots of different competing priorities at the moment with changes to legislation so for us it's about giving them the tools, the resources and the support uh, to put in place those genuinely meaningful changes that will move them from a non-menopause friendly workplace to a fully fledged menopause friendly workplace. And we celebrate their success by providing an accreditation. So for workplaces who do want to have that high level of, of standard when it comes to being a menopause friendly workplace, they can apply to become an accredited workplace. And we have an independent panel of experts who review those applications so that it's a really meaningful uh, opportunity for workplaces to uh, have that accredited badge. Uh, And we've seen in the UK that that has been really key to many workplaces attracting and retaining uh, those talented female senior executives as well. That's brilliant. And it's absolutely needed in the current, um, you know, talent type market, let's say. Um, Grace, thank you so much. I highly recommend organisations, you know, jump on board and get involved. It's the work that you're doing is incredibly important. Um, So best of luck with the launch of the accreditation and can't wait to talk to you again and see how, you know, what changes are being made and how Australia and Australian businesses have taken, taken to it. Thank you, Rebecca. It's been an absolute joy to talk to you about uh, menopause. I could talk all day about it. Um, And just lastly, if any of the workplaces uh, who are listening to this are thinking about how they could start their journey, we do have available a uh, a checklist that you can start with uh, that will give you some information about how you're doing around becoming menopause friendly and and highlight some areas uh, that you might want to think about um, as a starting point. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how TRIO can support your people, visit TRIO dot com